So today's Bible reading is Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 to 26. Um, it can be found in the church bulletin, or it can be pulled up on your Bible app. I'll just give you a second. Called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through the love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out. You are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For they are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries and dissension. Divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like that. Sorry. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceit, provoking one another, envying one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, brother. Well, good morning. Good morning to the faithful remnant who are here on Canada Day long weekend. A great will be your reward in heaven. I'm going to put the mic down. Don't tell Paul I said that. I'm sure he's doing something very spiritually rejuvenating uh, on this weekend. It's, it's a blessing for my wife and I to hail all the way from Scarborough. Uh, today is quite a drive, but a beautiful drive on a beautiful morning. And it's, uh, it's always an encouragement to worship with other communities uh, where really there's just such a great likeness and sameness that we're worshiping the same God, uh, the same Lord with different people. And it's just encouraging uh, to be with you guys this morning. My name's Chris Pinatello. I know I was introduced Chris P., uh, that's, that's totally okay. I mean, again, my wife still sometimes uh, has a hard time maybe saying that. Uh, Italian last name. And uh, I'm a church planning resident at Christ Church Toronto. Uh, my wife and I, this time, we're exploring uh, what it might look like to plant a church in the GTA. And so we've submitted ourselves to the leadership there. Uh, we're learning a whole ton. Uh, so humble to be part of this process that the Lord could use ordinary people like ourselves to further his kingdom. Uh, but it's a wonderful, uh, daunting, anxious, exciting uh, journey that we're on. And so it's my uh, privilege to be able to share the word of God with you guys. 
uh, this morning. Uh, speaking about real freedom and pertinent to Canada Day weekend where a lot of us, uh, we think about the great freedom that we have in our nation. This isn't why I chose the topic, but I think it's fitting in that we think about what freedom is um, and the relevancy specifically pertaining to the Christian life. And so let me say a, a quick prayer and then we'll dive into this text before us this morning. Father, by your spirit today, we pray that you would lift Jesus Christ up in our hearts. Uh, wherever we are on this journey of faith, maybe some here this morning, they just find it hard to believe. Uh, faith seems far from their heart. Uh, as I know sometimes, uh, doubting and skepticism is a reality in our world. Uh, we pray by your spirit today that you'd help us see Jesus more clearly through this text, that we may worship him. Um, and in light of that, that we would learn to see the good works, the love for one another as a great apologetic uh, to say that this is the kind of community that I'd want to be part of and give my life to, and also to see what it might mean to follow this ancient Christian faith uh, in 2019. Uh, help us this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's something puzzling, I find, about how we view freedom in our world today. Uh, we think of freedom as not having to do what anybody else tells me. I'm a free person. I'm an individual to myself. Please do not tell me what to do. And many people, as, I, as I've talked to a few people, but just across, I think, our narrative in Canada, have declared that in our culture that to cling to rules uh, of any sort can often be immature, dehumanizing. After all, we've progressed as humans. Uh, we ought to be able to live spontaneously, to be authentic, to be our true selves, not to conform to what anybody else says of us, even God, because that might cramp our style and squash us into a narrow conformity. And this rhetoric of freedom is all around us. It's not only in Hollywood and on Netflix and on the television shows that we watch, but also into our political rhetoric, making us imagine that as long as people are free, and I think often what we mean by that is that we can vote in elections uh, from time to time and do whatever we want in our private lives, then everything else in our world should sort itself out. And I'd ask us this morning, how does that seem to be going in our world today? You don't have to necessarily say it back to me. No longer get married if they want to remain healthy and happy. And you can see the undertones in our culture that the more freedom the individual person has, the more on par with happiness, uh, true fulfillment uh, that you'll actually uh, find in and of yourself. And not just to pick on the women here, it's all across our narrative, whether you're man, woman, child, wherever you look. Finding this idea of freedom puzzling. Uh, Paul himself, throughout all Galatia, has planted a church, and there's a few things that are actually going on. There's a group who came down from Jerusalem, um, and as you can imagine, the, the epicenter of where the gospel had been taken root, where the leaders, apostles were. And now they've come down to Galatia and they're, they're saying to the newer Christians, they're saying that if you want to be real Christians, if you want to be part of the church of God, listen, follow circumcision, things that were brought in from the Jewish faith. And these men who had come down from Jerusalem are saying, if, listen, if you guys want to be part of this community, these are the things that you need to subscribe to. What's Paul's response? Well, really briefly, Paul is furious. He's bent. He's saying, Who's, who cut in on you? You guys were doing so well that there is one gospel, and it was through 
it's through Christ that truly you are free. Don't, dis- don't submit to these other forms of slavery. Don't go back into these old ways of thinking. It's Jesus plus nothing that truly saves you and brings you into Christ's church. He's the one who saves you and gives you freedom and welcomes you into the family of God. Not these observances, not circumcision, not following the old ceremonial law. And so there's people there, Paul saying, listen, guys, you got it wrong here. But he's also going on the other side. So there, as, I want you to follow me here. There's a group of people who are saying, these are the things that you need to follow. But in response to that, as we see in our text this morning, he's saying, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but to love one another. And there's a group of people, as I can imagine, who are saying, okay, Christ has set us free. We can now live how we want. I can live as long as Jesus has accepted me into the family. I can go on and live the way that I please. And Paul's saying, no, it's not that way either. In fact, Christ has set you free and giving you new life and new standing with God. But here's the deal. Here's the deal, that your freedom wouldn't be used for your own pleasure because you guys will just end up devouring yourself. And as you can see in verse 15 and at the end, These two communities are turning up their nose at one another. One saying, you got to follow more rules, guys. The other community is saying, we are going to live how we want. And Paul is coming to us in this text here, and I think he has something to say to both communities of what it actually means to live in true freedom and to use that freedom. And as we look at this church here, we'd say, wow, this is thousands of years ago. But actually, I think that the same reality and the same issue is in our church today, biting devouring one another, dissensions. Think of the truth be told, when people think about the church today, they say these are some some major marks and indicatives actually that we see in the church today. And so where I want to go this morning is I believe Paul is saying this. And in the ceremonial law and the rituals, not that you would be free to live for yourself, both leading to slavery, but actually that you would be freed from the law and from living for yourself, that you may be bound to your neighbor in love, which Paul emphatically states that actually to live this way is to fulfill the law. It's not just a freedom from, but it's a freedom for. And so here are the three points that I I want us to follow that I think is a trajectory of this passage today, is that in these ensuing passages, Paul is unpacking what this means in the life of the church by giving a promise surrounding true Christian freedom, a promise, a warning to the community of faith that they may not be as free as what they think they are, and finally an encouragement to walk in this freedom. Okay, so there's a promise that Paul is giving to the church. There's a warning, uh, a sobering warning that he's giving to the church, but also to us today, and also an encouragement of how to walk in this freedom. Verses 16 through 18 begin with this promise about freedom. There's, uh, There's actually notes on the back of your bulletin. If you're one who wants to take notes, feel free. Uh, If not, Uh, you can listen. So Paul comes out of the gate here in in verse 16. He's saying, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. He's after saying, as as, uh, being free to use your love to one another, walk by the Spirit. Here's the command. The command is to walk by the Spirit. And the promise is, is that if you do this, you will not gratify the desires of your sinful nature. 
And so for the Christian who has received God's Spirit, and, and I'm not sure where all of us here this morning, but to the community of faith, to the Christian, he is saying, you have been given a new nature, a Christ-like nature. You are no longer under the reign and the power of sin, that you've been set free from slavery to sin. You've been liberated so that your experience as a Christian may grow closer to who you are in reality, God's chosen people. That the way that God sees his church holy and blameless would actually line up with who we, how we live out in reality, in our experience. And I know sometimes it's uncomfortable in church to talk about uh, what it might look like to be holy, a holy people, moral purity. But it shouldn't surprise us that as he's saying walk by the Spirit, that in the very name of the Holy Spirit is holiness. To be holy is to be set apart by God and for God. Someone once, and when I say someone, I think it was actually J.I. Packer, explained holiness as this, that it is a consecrated closeness to God to conform us more and more into the image of Jesus. So those who walk by the Spirit have this desire to be conformed into the image of Christ, to be holy as He is holy. I'd ask us this morning, as I ask myself, even I was thinking and going over these notes, do we have a desire for that this morning? Do you have a desire for that? If you do, it is the Spirit at work in you, motivating you and enabling you to put aside your sinful passions. Every time we yield to that desire, when that appetite to obey Christ, to walk in accordance with His Word, to selflessly love our neighbor we are walking by the Spirit. You see, this is something that He not only just enables us to do, but He motivates us from the inside. And you, if you have a desire to say, listen, I'm far from perfect. There's a conflict, a war going on in my soul, but I desire to be like Christ, to conform to His image. Paul is saying to walk by the Spirit, to yield to this desire that the Spirit is doing in the church. Paul saying there's also opposition going on. In verse 17, Paul clearly states that the desires of the flesh are against the desires of the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. They are in opposition to one another. What is Paul saying here? Paul is saying that the Christian is in battle. That there is a war going on in the reality of your heart on a day-to-day level, on the level of desire, that is constantly in opposition to what, what God's Word is saying. But the Spirit as well is daily in the life of a Christian putting to death these sinful desires. Can you see this picture? Have you felt that experientially? Do you see that war going on in your heart, in your mind, in the appetites of your life? As much as there is a promise to not live according to our sinful desires, we are in a battle. As someone once said, an old Puritan once said, that sin has lost its reign, but sin remains in the life of a Christian. The power is no longer over the life of the Christian, but the war carries on until we see Christ on that beautiful day in heaven. I'm not sure, maybe some of the, when I say younger, you're thinking, well, you're pretty young here. I'm not sure if you've seen Ben-Hur before, Uh, but there's one scene where Charlton Heston, uh, Judah, they're on this uh, naval battle scene chained to this Roman ship. And as they're rowing on the ship, there's a man in the front and he's beating on a drum. You guys, I don't know if anybody remembers this picture. Um, And as the drum gets faster and faster, they're called to row faster and faster. 
Now, humor with me for a second. That, that drummer at the front of the ship is the flesh, is the sinful desire in the life of a person that we are con- constantly conformed and following in pattern in line to that drumbeat when we walk according to our sinful desires. But what ends up happening in this scene is that actually someone comes and unlocks Judah from these shackles and from these chains so that he can be freed from sitting on that bench and from rowing. And to save the whole story, but finally the ship is, uh, there's a collision and the men become free. Now I want to say this. Now to be free, it would be absolutely ridiculous to say, you know what, this is a comfortable bench. Uh, I'm not shackled anymore. I'm going to continue to stay where I am and continue to row. No, of course not. You are free. It would make every sense in the world to say, the shackles are off me. I can make a run for it now. I can jump off the ship and be free. We no longer, the Christian who walks according to the Spirit is no longer being beckoned and having to follow after that drumbeat at the front of the boat. You have been free. And Paul is saying, the the reign of sin has been lost. Get off the boat. It would be ridiculous to continue to walk in conformity to the drum of our flesh when Christ has set you free. You have a new power that the Spirit has given you to fight your sinful nature. What a hope you're hearing this today, that there is a fight, but for the Christian, there's the reality of these two natures daily at war with each other, but there is hope. It may seem some days that we're losing the battle. It may seem that the Spirit is, continu- but the Spirit is continually working in the Christian to bring freedom and to make us more like Christ. This battle continues, and so to make this a little more applicable here, when you're in your workplace, takes every ounce of you not to want to do away with a coworker that it's just absolutely impossible to get along with. The way they look at you, maybe, maybe the way they smell, I don't know. Maybe just the way that they speak to you and it just feels that you just want to go and t- ask Christ, God, empower me, motivate me that I may walk according to the spirit and not the flesh. After a long day and you come home to be with your children, they're not listening to you. You just want to throw in the towel or just go and find a corner of the house where you just, just want to be totally away from them. And I guess we only have one child. So for those there, you're like, you don't get this, Chris. I, I know there's some humility here. But what does it look like to walk according to the Spirit? Or a spouse, you just can't seem to get on the same side of the story. This promise that Paul is giving us has to mean something. It is real power from the Spirit that causes us to be free from indulging in anger, resentment, unforgiveness, and turn to one another with such tender humility and love as Christ is displayed towards us. Paul is saying, walk by the Spirit, not according to the flesh. And he's saying that if you're going to fulfill this commandment of loving your neighbor, you've got to get this right. You cannot do this in and of your strength. You can't do this by trying to follow more laws more commands. You can't try to do this by living in your own freedom and and just out of your own strength. You need the Spirit to fulfill the law of God, which is the great promise that Paul seems to give here. More than just something we know in our minds, but an experience that is in working in the life of a Christian here. But he doesn't just give a promise today. As he moves on in verse 19, he also gives a stark warning, some sobering words to the community of faith and to the church of Galatia. And what I believe he's doing is that he's unpacking what it means, what this community looks like to be led by the Spirit opposed to being led by the flesh. 
He says in verse 19, Now the works of the flesh are evident. And I'm not going to repeat them all here right now. Maybe you're looking through this list and you're thinking, you know, you're, you're checking them out. Oh, I don't do this. I mean, orgies and rivalries. I'm not part of these. And you're trying to cancel as many of these things off the list as possible. But there are those in the community of, of faith who take joy in strife and divisions and immorality, pretty much giving an accurate depiction of today's newspaper, of our world, of Netflix, of what we read in our stories. And so for those who would say the Bible is so outdated, I mean, the Bible has no bearing on the relevancy of our life. And actually, as you read through this laundry list of, of Paul saying these are things that are, are present in this community, I think that we can put our finger on so many of these things. Saying this is true in our schools today, in our world today, in our church today. And before we move on and we see this contrast, I think Paul, I want to give a few uh, qualifications here. I think Paul here is trying to be exhaustive of every single sin that is possible in the life of a person who would be committing this. But what a life spent on serving yourself looks like. What it looks like, and what we're going to see in a few moments here, the fruit of the Spirit. For those who are, are what life looks like. This is what slavery looks like. I mean, nobody looks at this list here and says, oh, man, I, I love to live more of these things out of my life. A life apart from God is evident that these things will be present. But he's also saying here that if you've committed one of these sins, uh, when he talks about not inheriting the kingdom of God, he's not just saying if you've committed one of these sins that you, you're, you're written off, that God is done away with you. What I believe he's saying is that if you live your life never changing course, not turning away from your sin and recognizing that these are things that are displeasing to God, that bring destruction upon our lives and the destruction of others, and we want to turn from that and repent and turn to God, he is saying that you will not inherit the kingdom of God, for such word, works give evidence that we are not in Christ. And here's what's stunning about this. He's saying this in the church of Galatia causing these kinds of things in the church who may not truly be in Christ, who may not truly know, know his word and his love and the message of grace, that you may be in the community of faith and live these out. And he's saying, beware that there is a great warning. Be like one who goes to a football game or to a basketball game who wears all the right jerseys, you know, all the right things to say, uh, you, you have all the gear on, but you're still not in the game. I'm not saying you shouldn't wear that stuff. But there is a vast difference between being an absolute spectator and looking like you play the part versus actually being in the game. It's the contrast here. Paul is saying, you can go to, you know, I imagine you could be in church, you could be in a small group, you could read the Bible, you could have heard of the gospel, but are you truly bearing this fruit that Christ does in us and through us by his spirit. There's a warning here. But he also says this, life in Jesus by his spirit not only keeps us from these sins, but produces in us real fruit, real change, real transformation. I love here how when he's speaking about freedom, he's saying that, that there is change and transformation in the body of Christ to emanate the life of Jesus before your neighbor. Now, there's much that we could say here about unpacking the fruit of the Spirit. 
and speaking about all these fruit here, but I want to make a few observations of what I think uh, can be pulled away from Paul saying the works of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit. The first is this. For the Christian who has the Spirit of God inside them, that producing fruit will be inevitable in your life. It will be inevitable. Sometimes you may look at your life or the life of others and think there's no fruit there. Uh, or it seems that at times you go through seasons of life and you think, Man, there, there's, where, where is the Spirit working in my life? But it's a great promise as God sovereignly works in our lives that if we have the Spirit of God, that fruit will grow. That if you plant any kind of, uh, say if you plant an apple tree and you wait for a season of time, it's going to bear apples. And you say, well, this is obvious here. Stop condescending me. It's not going to bear any different kind of fruit. It's not going to bear pears or different That fruit will be produced in your life, the fruit of the Spirit. I think sometimes, and maybe this is pertinent to my tradition, I grew up in a very charismatic church. And sometimes following after God and having relationship with God look very vertical. It looked like you'd have great times of prayer. Uh, you would pursue more imminent ex- uh, experiences with God. And I'm not saying any of these things aren't true. But oftentimes there is a lack of reflection of how this has played out in my life in the community of faith. Very concrete ways that when we spend time with Christ, it, it, it's inevitable that our lives will change. Or else maybe our prayer lives or the time we have with Christ isn't as fruitful or powerful as what we thought. As we vertically spend time with Christ and His Spirit indwelling us, there will be fruit that is produced in your life that will show that you are of of His, that you are His child. One of the beautiful passages in Isaiah 32 as I was reading this week is that it creates this picture of a land that is not fertile, fertile, a land where there is famine, a land where there is strife, And it builds this rising climax, but then it says this. It says, but when the Spirit is poured out, that there will be justice in the land, there will be the fruit of righteousness, that there will be peaceful dwelling and security for the people that live there. That for the Spirit of God that comes and dwells amongst His community, that there will be fruit, there will be justice and righteousness and love towards one another. It will be a peaceful dwelling. And I feel that this is what our world needs to see. Nobody is saying we need less of that in our world. Even the most hostile towards Christianity. I can't picture people saying we need less peace and less security, less righteousness in our world. Paul's saying that this is, the, this is what the Spirit produces. I'll take that one, but maybe I, you know, I need some work on this one. I'm going to leave that to the side. But no, actually to live in Jesus, to receive his life within us, means to bear all of these fruits. Sure, some might be growing slower than others, but it is proof that we are in Christ. And I think that's why in many different places where Paul says that love is the root of these things. Or you can't have gentleness without humility. That in some sense, these fruit are complementary to one another. That they are fruit together in the life of those who are following Jesus. So again, we see this contrast. The works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. But as we read down in 24, he punctuates this, and he says, if you live this way, against such there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. 
For those who have received the Spirit, for those who are following Jesus, have crucified the, the flesh with its passions and desires. And I can just hear Paul saying this because in Galatians 2, he says that it is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the, the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If we're going to see any kind of motivation to say this is the kind of life that I should live, to have this fruit of the Spirit, we have to be like Paul to look to this message of grace to see that actually this is only possible. This is only true that we can only be motivated like Paul when he looks to the great Savior, the great crucified Savior who said that this is the one who loved me and gave himself for me. That he was crucified for me, that he died for me, that he took and he's given me the ability to have a new heart by his spirit, by what he did on the cross and rising again and ascending to the Father so that I don't have to live according to the works of the flesh, but I can have a new life. I can have a new heart. And I I believe as we look to, as we become gripped by this message of grace and what Christ has done for us, that it won't be saying, man, we, we just want to bear fruit to be better people, but we'll become so in love with Christ that, again, these things will just, they'll, we'll have no, uh, no option but to say these, these things will flow from our lives in the community of faith. The passions and desires crucified by Christ living in us. And the more that I believe, we, as we even sang this morning, as we become gripped by this message of grace and what Jesus has done for us, and him being the one who was crucified in our place, that our lives inevitably will be lives of worship and turning to him and saying, God, we want to fulfill your law. We don't want to live in slavery. We want to live a life of love to you and love towards one another. It's powerful. And so Paul is saying to walk by the Spirit is to bear the fruit of the Spirit by looking forward to our great Savior. And there's a warning. I mean, what kind of community do we want to be part of? The works of the flesh or the fruit of the Spirit here? So we see a great promise. We see this contrast and warning. And finally, we hear an encouragement by Paul to stay free, to walk in freedom. And so I, I believe this part, uh, uh, you know, if you, if you haven't tuned out so far, that this is uh, thinking about how we, when we leave the doors of this place, we leave this ordinary gym. How do we walk out living by the Spirit with one another? He talked about it at the beginning, walking by the Spirit, live by the Spirit. But now what does it mean to keep in step with the Spirit? And the word that he's actually using here is this word stokeo. And why I say that is not just to sound, try to sound smarter and you think, wow, this, he just used a Greek word here. But it actually, the meaning of this is to follow in line behind a leader. It is to conform your steps to that of the Spirit. We have a young son here, as a few of you guys are, but he's so impressionable that as he tries to walk in his weakness and not fully there yet, when we step back and we hold his hands in utter dependence upon myself and my wife or whoever's helping, he's doing his best to keep in step with us walking back and we're encouraging him. I get this picture that as we're following after Christ in our weakness and our utter dependence, that we're saying, God, we are so insufficient to live this life by ourselves. We need you. We need you to hold us up. We need you to walk with us and show us the way. Like a little dependent child reaching out to their father and mother to keep in step with them. That's what it looks like to be dependent. Let me offer a few other areas that I think what it might look like in our lives to keep in step with the Spirit. Well, firstly, I believe it is having 
God's word first in our life? How easy is it for us, even as Christians here, to wake up in the morning and to just to go about our agendas, to check our phones, to check all the things that we need to accomplish in a day, and a day could go by and thinking, my, my life hasn't even been centered on Christ or thought about his grace towards me or opened his word. To be in step with the Spirit is, is to converse with God. It is to walk with him. It is, it is to hear his word and respond in prayer. It is to confess to him and say, God, I don't know what I'm going to do in this situation. I need your wisdom. It is to turn and say, God, I am so filled with pride and I need your humility. I need your spirit in my life that I can bear this fruit of the spirit. To walk with him, to let go of our agendas and to submit and become subdued by his sovereign work in our lives. You know, when my... Uh, when uh, Kayla and I, when we first started dating, I don't, she didn't know I was going to share this story. But I had such a hard time walking in step with her. I'd either be walking behind or walking ahead, and we'd actually, on walks, we'd get in these arguments of why can't we walk in pace with one another. It sounds silly, maybe no one else, I, you know. Anyway, we were learning. Now I'd like to say that we're more in step. But when we think about our relationship with Christ, it really is this journey of walking in step with our Lord. It is, it is not trying to get ahead and thinking we're going to manufacture our own solutions and then we're going to try to add God into it. It is recognizing and I'm not thinking that either of us are saying that we are God in our relationship. It might be not totally the, the fairest parallel here. But it is the walk in step with our Savior. But it's not just committing to a life of prayer and scripture and relationship with God. As we read on in Galatians, Paul says this really God will not be mocked. For whatever one sows, they will also reap. For the one who sows in his own flesh, he's drawing back the works of the flesh, sowing in the flesh, what will he reap? Reap of the flesh and corruption. But the one who sows the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And then he says this. Okay, I know you guys are discouraged. Maybe at times you don't see this full harvest in front of you, but don't give up. Don't grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And I believe that these words can be so true to where we are today. Paul's saying, don't grow weary. Don't grow weary of doing good. If you don't see this fruit oftentimes in your life, continue to sow. Continue to sow into the Spirit. It will not be in vain. In your prayer life, you feel like, I still feel like God is so distant from me. Continue praying. Know that He's there. Know that He is sovereign and good, and He is leading and guiding you in your life. It means in scripture or you've gone out to a small group, so many, and you just think, what is the point of this? I don't feel like I'm growing. I feel like this has grown dull and boring. Sometimes it's the ordinary, going through the motions, being disciplined in a place. We just need to stay there. We say, God, give us grace. Motivate us in these places that we will reap a good and great harvest and something that we may not even see on this side of glory. May not be the harvest that we, we reap, but it might be in the life of faith and those around us. But think about in contrast to that, what it might look like to, to sow into the flesh. What, what, what is our imagination constantly going towards? Where are we spending our time? Paul's saying don't be surprised when you reap things that are of the flesh if that's what you're sowing into. Don't grow weary of doing good. We see this community of faith, just like Galatia here, Paul's saying sow into the Spirit, the Spirit as it work, is at work in every baptism, 
every time we meet together for a barbecue, every time we make that phone call to one another, we put aside our inconveniences and we say, I just felt like I needed to pray for you today and to build you up and to offer this encouraging word that the Spirit as it is at work growing and maturing the fruit in this community that it might be a beautiful gift and a glorious image to God, our Father, this morning. And so we don't lose hope. We take what Paul is saying here of this promise, fle- works of the flesh in our lives. God, reveal this to us. And finally, an encouragement to say, we're going we're gonna to walk by the Spirit as, a great, as our great God motivates us, enables us and enables us to keep in step with the Spirit. Let's pray this morning. Oh, Jesus Christ, we thank you that you are the one who lived a perfect life, the only one uh, who was crucified, uh, who died, who rose again, and ascended to the Father and gave us your spirit that we may know true freedom and what it is to walk with our Savior and what it means to live out this community, different people from different walks of life, uh, different church backgrounds, different ways of even perceiving the Bible at times, and yet there is a commonality where we can say that the Spirit is present desiring to bear Christian fruit in our lives. And I pray this morning if someone's here, maybe multiple people are just thinking, what might this look like in my life today that you would grant faith uh, to see this beautiful Savior in which we've sung about, which we've read about, and what we've learned about this morning. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.